Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to Cabin Devils. My name is David, and today is special because we are coming to you live all the way from Chigali. Call it Randa if you would like to. Very, very excited uh, to be with you, Peterson. Thank you so much uh, for coming and letting your friends know that we are live. Let me see who else we have here. We have Lindsay and we do have Habo as well. Sandra, you are also very welcome. Go ahead, ladies and gentlemen, and tap the share button. That's the box with the arrow pointing outward and let your family and friends know that we are live. Florence Bite. And that's where my Chinyaranda stops. Well, today we are going to be looking at suffering. And uh, my guest tonight is Mr. David Chirabira as uh, he takes us through this. And I'm hoping he'll do this the entire week. And so there's going to be a couple of uh, ideas when it comes to suffering that we shall be looking at uh, this Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And just like our topic says tonight, suffering when I have done nothing wrong. Now, if you've been to Cabin Devils long enough, you know that we try to make the titles as simple as possible. I did not know if that was correct grammar. Is it supposed to be suffering yet I've done nothing wrong or is it suffering when I've done nothing wrong? Well, um, my English teacher is not here. Uh, to do the correction but you get the point you do get the point and of course we're going to be looking at the book of job as we discuss these matters and it's interesting that when you think about life especially when it starts from genesis chapter 3 it seems to imply that suffering is part of our lives and yet when we look we kind of over our shoulders we can see that the rest of our friends are living a better life and uh we wonder if we're in this same world. Um, maybe to put it for you simply, why would a kilo of sugar cost the same amount for David Tubidier, uh, who lives in the village, and uh, for a Mark who lives in Muyenga and has a better job? The world can be unfair. But those are some of the things we're going to be looking at. And then worst of all is David Tubidier has done nothing wrong uh, to suffer. Neither has Mark done anything wrong or right uh, to have a better life, at least according to us. But how do you explain suffering? How do you explain suffering? In fact, part two of this topic is what we'll be looking at uh, with a good friend of mine from Nairobi, whose podcast I postponed concerning luxury. And uh, when it comes to luxury, we'll be discussing topics like poverty. How do you explain poverty? How do you explain the fact that Christ said, the poor shall always be with you? Is that a permanent state? And who qualifies to be broke? Who qualifies to be poor? But today we are talking about suffering when I have done nothing wrong. I think it's easy to suffer when you know you have done something wrong. But man, there's nothing wrong I did. Why do I suffer? And one perfect example that we can see is in the book of Job. And we are going to be joined by David as we discuss more about this. Once again, glad that you are here. People get discouraged. We, we do. Um, today, I learned a new word, dejection. And never heard of that word. But today, it's, it's interesting how... This, this just ministered to me, and most of you must have seen the quote uh, from Oswald Chambers that I posted together with, uh, uh, with the poster. But think about the men that Christ met on the road to Emmaus. On the road to Emmaus. These, these men were, were discouraged, they were dampened, their spirits were, uh, were almost, if you want to say, 
poured on water uh, concerning the Christ. And they said in Luke chapter 24, verse 21, it says, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And he says, indeed, besides all this, Today is the third day since these things happened, talking about when Christ uh, was crucified. And, and, and they were dampened. They were, they, were, they were sad. And Oswald Chambers says, every fact that the disciples stated was true in those verses, but the conclusion they drew from those facts were wrong. And, and, and for me, that statement just uh, drew me to the fact that there are facts, there are events that happen in our lives, but sometimes we get the wrong conclusions uh, of those events. And also Chamber says, anything that has, has even a hint of dejection spiritually is always wrong. And by dejection, think of that as discouragement. In fact, I'm going to substitute the word dejection for discouragement. And anything that has a hint of discouragement spiritually is always wrong. And he says, if I'm depressed and burdened, I am to blame not God or anyone else. He says rejection or or discouragement um, stems from one of two sources. And he says, I have either satisfied a lust or I have not had it satisfied. Let me repeat that for you. Discouragement stems from one of two sources. And he says, I have either satisfied a lust Oh, I have not had it satisfied. And it says in either case, discouragement is the result. Last means, in quote, says I must have it at once. That is what last means. I must have it at once, right now. Spiritual last causes me to demand an answer from God instead of seeking God himself who gives the answer. What I have been hoping or trusting God would do and the question he's asking here is, is today the third day in courts, just like the disciples were saying, I've waited too long. Is today the third day and he has still not done what I expected? Am I therefore justified in being discouraged and in blaming God? Whenever we insist that God should give us an answer to prayer, we are off track. The purpose of prayer is that we get a hold of God not of the answer. It is impossible to be well physically and to be discouraged because discouragement is a sign of sickness. This is also true spiritually. Discouragement or dejection spiritually is wrong and we are always to blame for it. Let me ask Devi uh, to call in at this point in time so that we can have a very quick discussion concerning uh, this whole issue of suffering and, and, and being discouraged uh, in this world, Devi, if you could call it. But as Devi calls in, let me, let me just read for you the, the rest of the portion here of this article. The last paragraph, he says, we look for visions from heaven and for earth-shaking events to see God's power. We look out for those things. Even the fact that we are discouraged is proof that we do this, yet we never realize that all the time God is at work in our everyday events and in the people around us. Remember that. We never realize that all the time God is at work in our everyday events and in the people around us. If we will only obey and do the task that he has placed closest to us, 
we will see him. One of the amazing revelations of God sometimes, I mean, comes to us when, when we learn that it is in the everyday things of life that we realize the magnificent deity of Jesus Christ. It, it's a long article, but I think every portion of it is really, really encouraging. But, Devi, when you read this article today, what were your thoughts, especially when it comes to what sometimes discourages us pain and, and suffering? And what, were you, what are your thoughts concerning tonight, Devi? Uh, I think um, it's an issue of expectations. Um, you know, and that article talks about, uh, you know, last, uh, last mm. for certain things. I, I think our expectations and realistic expectation based on, on our last and we extrapolate these and therefore we begin to expect, and that's just the nature of last. If, if I'm lustful towards, um, you know, somebody, I, I put expectations on that individual and I want them to, you know, fulfill my, my cravings and my lusts, disregarding all the other principles that are in operation. Um, and I think that's where the, the conflict comes in. Um, I, I want to disregard all other things. I want to disregard common sense. I want to disregard uh, all the other things that are happening for the sake of, of wanting this particular thing that I'm pursuing. It, I, I don't know what it might be. Uh, this particular notion that I have of God, maybe God as an ATM uh, that should be there to provide for me uh, the different things that I want and I want right now. Um, and so when those expectations are not met, frustration comes in, disappointment comes in, dejection comes in. But most of the times it is based on unrealistic expectations driven by our lusts and cravings and, and our wants for whatever it is that we are pursuing or craving for. You do talk about expectations, um, Devi, and I think very quickly we can, we can take um, bold prayer requests as... As, as being spiritual. But I, I want to understand, and I don't want to use the word where I do, do the line. <laughs> because there are no lines to be drawn. Some of these words are very, very clear. Last is last. And I think Oswald Chambers really put it very well when he said, I want it and I want it now. I must have it mm. at once. And uh, that that is the unwillingness to wait uh, on God. But I'll give an example. Uh, today uh, is meeting with a team uh, here in Rwanda, and we're, we're just evaluating and, and, and seeing the ministry and, and what happened this past year. Oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, some of you who may be listening in, we were celebrating uh, recently um, the, the, the release or the publication of the Chinyaranda Quiet Time Diary. We did print a sample of about four months. I mean, they, we have all the notes and the commentary for the rest mm -hmm. of the year, mm -hmm. but we did a sample for the first four months, and it's 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 awesome. One of the team members told me, "Hey, Devi, I took this to my wife, and she was very very excited um, about just getting into God's word." I did some uh, asking around, and I found out there's only one one Chinyaranda Bible commentary. I do not know how many there are in Luganda. But there's only one 
Um, and it's interesting in our English language, we have Charles Flaherty, we have Matthew Henry's, we have all these commentaries we can go to. But you think about people who may not be able to read the English language. And so that's where the heartbeat was. And we're celebrating that. Then we looked back and we had realized 1,000, about 1,000, almost 300 gospel conversations, out of which 792 uh, trusted Christ this past year. And if that does not excite you, I do not know what will. That's, that's awesome. That is really, really awesome to look back at. But as we sat down today to plan, David, we asked the question, what are some of the things we can be praying for? And part of our prayer points was we realized we are in touch with 12 churches. And it is a total of about 1,000 young people in those 12 churches who attended different Bible clubs. And we were thinking, well, we had 1,000 gospel <coughs> conversations this past year, and now we have about 1,000 youth in these 12 churches. How can we at least endeavor that each of these young people in these Bible clubs at least has four gospel conversations this year, 2022. That would mean we're going to have about 4,000 gospel conversations. And wow. it's it's unthinkable to think of the fact that 12 churches can have about 4,000 gospel conversations. And out of those, who knows how many will trust Christ? I mean, our goal was 4,000 this past year, and we only realized 1,000. That's the ministry goal. It may sound unrealistic, but we are calling it a bold vision. And and, and I'm just using that example um, as a metaphor for some of the other requests we may have or prayer requests that seem impossible. Devi, I'm praying to God about something that is humanly impossible. How do I know it's not an unrealistic expectation? Because the moment it becomes realistic, I think... At that point, if I can achieve it, then there's no point to pray about it. That would be someone else's interpretation. But yeah, how would you explain to someone who is trusting God for the impossible and yet does not want to unrealistically expect God to answer certain prayers? I, I think it, and, and there's not going to be a, a blanket answer for, for this, but there are certain things that should be obvious by now. Um, you know, there, there are things that are intrinsically within God's will, um, you know, something like that, praying for the salvations of, you know, many people coming to trust in Christ and putting your plans into his hands with, with these grandiose goals. Um, yes, if it's only me and I expect to share the gospel one-on-one -on -one to 20,000 people, uh, face to face, that may be impossible. So, I mean, putting that within the realm of realistic, but I think it's also good to dream big, uh, especially in line with, with what God's, um, you know, will and purpose is. Uh, this year's theme for us as, as Word of Life is from uh, uh, Ephesians chapter, chapter 3, verse 20, you know, talking about God being able to do immeasurably more above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. And that, that, that is expectation, as in he's saying he's able to perform beyond our expectations. But these expectations must be in line with, you know, his, his will. We know his will. We know his heart for, uh, for, for the lost. We know his heart for, you know, healing those who are broken in, in different ways emotionally. We know his heart for, you know, the world. So within that realm, we, we can be sure that we can set goals 
and God is able to do way above, beyond, and abundantly what we ask or imagine. But the other spectrum, I think, where we started from is, you know, what, what is the foundation of my expectations? And where I began from is if my, the foundation for my expectations are not even based on God's heartbeat, but more on my lusts, the fulfillment of what I want and what I desire. Now, the strange thing is that sometimes God really does grant those things. Um, uh, <laughs> I was watching a, a WhatsApp video today of a monkey that was being given burn after burn after burn, and it, it kept on eating and throwing, eating and throwing, and it just couldn't handle. That sometimes, actually, God allows us to go through that, um, and, and he allows us to get what we want and we lust for, like the prodigal son, but eventually it ends up choking us. So we end up at a loss. Um, so I think when we look at expectation, we need to find, ask ourselves, what is the basis? What's the foundation? What's the end goal? The wisest man that ever lived and penned down Ecclesiastes, he said, listen, I set my expectations high, and guess what? God met all of them, including the ones that were based on his lust, having so many concubines, and he had so many horses, he had so many things, but this was a conclusion, vanity of vanities. Why did he come to that conclusion? They were done and pursued, even though God allowed for him, you know, to attain them, but they were done outside God's will and purposes. And when he sat down, the sum total was emptiness. And then he concludes by saying, listen, if you must pursue and set expectations, let them be done with a sensitivity to the fact that God is at the center of it all. And that's the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, so expectations are good. We need to set expectations, but they need to be realistic in terms of, you know, what is God's will in as far as this is concerned. And, you know, um, trying to pursue and going in, in that line, uh, if it is in line with God's will. On the other spectrum, if it's based on our lusts, um, if it is not answered by God, uh, then don't, don't be shocked. And if it is answered by God, be scared. Be really, really scared when he permits our lusts to be fulfilled and we experience some form of abundance. Because at the end of it all somewhere, there's going to be some void uh, involved. Wow, those those are quite difficult uh, words to hear, especially when we need to be scared when our uh, desires have been granted. Um, and by our desires, I mean the very words we are talking about today in the poster is uh, suffering when I, when I know mm. that I've done nothing wrong because I'm the I'm right at the center. Uh, of this issue. It's me suffering. I've done nothing wrong. And it, it sounds like one of those when the teacher comes into class and is asking who was talking. It's not me. I, I was quiet. I, you're trying to defend yourself. You're the focus of the matter. And David, when you kept talking, I was reminded of John uh, 15. Um, of course, it starts with uh, the whole, uh, I mean, the whole topic and major point here is to remain in me abide in me. Today we read this passage in Chinyaranda and it's it's literally means stay <laughs> stay in me uh, as I stay in you. Uh, I could hear some of the intonations uh, from that vernacular. And it's interesting that when you come to verse um, 
Verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And of course, I've read several commentaries, but it, it really supports exactly what you are talking about. That whilst we abide in him, his word is going to inform our desires. That when we ask, we'll be asking according to his heart, according to his desires. And God has no issues fulfilling his will. That when we ask, whatever we ask, will be according to his will. And definitely he will grant us. And so even in this whole process, as we think about suffering, may we, may we remember or ask ourselves the question, who is at the center of all of this? Who's at the center of all of this? Let's pray together, Devi, and then I'll give you your uninterrupted moment to share with us from God's word. Father, we thank you um, that we can come to you in very few minutes uh, just to be encouraged. We all have different walks of life, different challenges. Um, this year has begun differently for most of us. Uh, some have gained new jobs while others have lost. Uh, we have dreams that we're expecting the whole of January, but maybe February has begun and none of that is being accomplished. It sounds like we are back uh, to the previous years of 2020 and 2021, but we want to hope in you and know that you're working out something uh, in our lives for your glory. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that was listen to your word, just, just encourage us to remain strong and to focus on you. Like John says, may we abide in you because without you, we can do nothing. We thank you. Come with Debbie before you. Pray for wisdom as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Debbie. Okay, thank you, David. Um, you know, that was, that was a good place to kind of launch us into uh, tonight's discussion. You know, talking about John and Christ talking about abiding in me. And, um, you know, when you abide in me, whatever you ask, I will grant it to you. Sometimes we don't think about the abiding. The abiding, when we abide in Christ, it's not Christ that changes and he softens his heart towards our, our desires and our requests and our prayers. What begins to happen for me who was a pagan or for me who was a non-practicing Christian, or for me who, you know, is just a nominal Christian, is that when I begin to abide in Christ, Christ begins to change me and transform me and transform my desires, my outlook to the world, and, and, and my goals as well. And slowly I begin to ask things that are more in tandem with and, and the more I dwell, the more I know him, the more I know his heart, and the more my prayers also become answered because I begin to ask things in accordance to what he desires. Most of the times when we look at that, we tend to think, well, the more I abide in him and, and I offer my, you know, my obedience and, you know, token obedience and, you know, service, the more God softens his heart towards me. It's usually the other way around. It's me moving towards him, and therefore I begin to ask things that are in line with him. And I give this even in relationships. Um, you know, the, 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 more, the more years I spend with, with Amanda, the more I know her, the more I am able to discern, you know, the things she likes and she doesn't like, and the more I am able to ask certain things of her, and she's able to grant them because I know they're in line with what she would be able to provide. So we need to have that in mind. Uh, most of the times uh, I've heard this, 
you know, just being preached as a blanket. You know, it's like a transaction. Um, my part is just to abide, whatever that means, stay in him, read his word, pray, be faithful in church. And the exchange to that is him bidding to my desires, even though sometimes they're skewed. No, it doesn't work that way. The purpose of us abiding in him is so that we can know him, we can be transformed and begin that journey to be transformed, to be more like him, a process that will end in glorification or will be like him um, eventually. So when we don't have that, then we, we, we begin to, to, to accuse God for being um, not truthful. Why? Because we, we've, ab we've abided. We've done all these things. I've been a faithful Christian. I've done all these things. I, I have served. I have given. I have. But why is it that he's not answering my prayers? And, and that is something, and I know I've shared this before. That is something that I also wrestled with at some point in my life because that's the mentality that I had. Uh, where we begin to see God as an ATM. That as long as put the card in, I just have to press buttons and I get whatever I want, whether it's 5,000, 10,000, uh, you know, pounds, dollars, shillings, he will give it to me as in accordance to what I want. No, the kind of ATM that God is, if you have to look at him that way, is the kind where you put in your card and, and that card somehow begins to change you and you begin to type what the ATM is actually telling you to type. And, and he will be able to give you uh, what he desires for you and what he believes is good for you. And, and a good book to look at um, when we look at the, or we are trying to wrestle with uh, that, that concept that most of us have grown up to believe should happen, that God, we do God certain things and God owes us uh, you know, certain things, especially our prayers, our expectations, a good life. Um, I think Job is a good book to, to, to go back to and look at. Um, especially when we fail to reconcile our lives, our faithfulness, our dedication, our devotion with what is going on in our lives. I remember some time back I was... Um, sharing some, some, a series of messages from the book of Job. And I titled, I think, one of the messages where one plus one is equals to zero. And that's Job. And that's how it begins. You see, we've been brought up to believe that one plus one should be two. And we extrapolate that even into the spiritual world that when I do this and I do that and I do this, God therefore is obligated to give me two. But we begin Job with a very interesting introduction. It tells us about this man, Job chapter 1. And in verse 1 it says, I mean, right from the beginning, that that man was perfect and upright. And the one that feared God and eschewed evil. He hated evil, just like God. I mean, this is a guy, if we had to go back to John 15, this guy abided in Christ. And because of abiding in God, God even changed his heart. 
and his heart was in line with what God expected. He hated evil. He feared God. And not only that, even God was could testify. You know, some of us, you know, like me, maybe people can testify of how great of a guy is, but I don't know what God would say about me. Because God sees my heart. He sees my my thoughts sometimes. I get angry with certain people. You know, a guy, you know, comes and steals my parking space. Well, I didn't, it's not mine. And and thoughts of me picking up a stone and just scratching the side of his car and leaving marks on his car. You know, sometimes they run in my mind that that's how evil I am. And therefore, I don't think I can even pass the test uh, of God giving a testimony about me like he did of Job. You know, it says in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along with them. Then the Lord said unto Satan, Where have you come from? Then Satan answered him. And then in verse 6, And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and hates or abhors evil? I mean, what else do I need to do in terms of obedience? What else do I need to do in terms of abiding? What else do I need to do in terms of faithfulness, service, and giving? You know, I mean, humanly speaking, away from Christ, I think all of us should be working hard to attain what Job had, working hard to attain, you know, the testimony that God had of Job. And with that, we should be expecting whatever we ask in accordance to his will for him to give it to us. That's the one plus one is equals to two mentality. And then Job throws in a spanner in the works. A few verses after that, we see things going haywire, things turning upside down. And for the next so many verses, that's the trend of things. As in Job's life from 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, there's just terrible things happening, one after another, including his wife, who should be his closest. And we increasingly begin to see one plus one becoming zero, one plus one becoming negative one, negative two, negative three, negative four. But why does that become an issue or a problem? It's because of our mentality, we have that Old Testament, I call it the Deuteronomy 28 mentality to life, which was given by God in all fairness. You see, the Old Testament mentality was that when you are faithful, God is going to reward you with good things, with a good life. And we see that at the beginning of Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 to 3, he says, obey, this is going to be yours, the land is going to be yours, you're going to conquer, you're going to you know, occupy houses you never built, and all these glamorous things. And then he goes down in Deuteronomy 28, at the bottom towards the end, in verse 47, he says, listen, if, 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 you, don't, if you don't serve me, certain things are going to happen to you, 47 to 48. Okay? Um, if you don't obey me, uh, verse 58, 
you're going to, you know, you're going to be blind, you're going to be slaves, you're going to be all these things. So that became the predominant mindset. And that somehow even drives our human relationships. You know, when I do good things, my parents reward me. When I do good things at work, I am, you know, voted work of the year. When I rebel, I face discipline issues. And that is something that is ingrained within us. And we come to have that expectation and extrapolate it even in our relationship with God. But the book of Job, actually, when you pursue the, the theme of it, it's not really even suffering. The theme of, of Job is the sovereignty of God. Now, when we talk about sovereignty, we are talking about independence, the ability to exercise that which you want without outside influence. When we say Uganda is a sovereign country, whatever that means, it should mean that Uganda is able to make its own decisions without outside interference. It can make its own decisions how it wants, when it wants, um, you know, for whatever purposes. And so the book of Job brings in that picture that God is sovereign. He is able to make decisions independent of what, you know, controls us as human beings, our thoughts, our desires, our lusts, and even human uh, principles that when you do good, bad should be avoided. When you do bad, you should expect bad back. That God is sovereign and independent of that. That God has the right to make wise decisions that may not make sense to Job or the rest of us, even when we do good. That God is not tied down to our faithfulness and therefore is obligated to release good. God is equally not tied down to the fact that when I do evil, evil is going to come my way. And that's why you're going to find some people doing terrible things and they get away you know, with all those things and they're still prospering, something that really puzzled David. And you wonder why David you know, penned so many psalms where he was puzzled because he came in with that mindset. Listen, God, this, in your word, the expectation is that when I am faithful, when I abide, when I do all these things, good things should follow me. But why is it that I'm running away? I'm in the caves. I'm being chased by Saul. I'm, I, I'm supposed to be in the palace. I was anointed. And listen, my son is also chasing me. And then when I see my son seems to be prospering, can you explain this? And the book of Job reminds us that God is sovereign. He's independent. Now, his sovereignty is not out of arrogance, like what we see maybe in our modern day nations. It is not out of, you know, power hungry. It is not out of, you know, nefarious, you know, motives. It is, it is a sovereignty that is governed by an all-wise God, all-powerful God, all-knowing God, and all-in-control God. I mean, all the attributes of God perfectly come in and complement that sovereignty of God. Such that when I arrive at a point where one plus one is equals to zero, I need to settle it in my heart and in my mind, even when it does not make sense that this is the best outcome for now. 
Job arrives at that point towards the end after he has wrestled, he has tried to, you know, uh, justify himself. And he says, listen, I have spoken in foolishness. Why? Because he was busy pushing the one plus one is equals to two. And yet what God had given him was one plus one is equals to negative five. And he comes to realize, especially when God gives him, you know, he says, you know, I want, I want you to sit down like a man and ask you questions. If you're very wise, if you're very righteous, can you tell me where are the foundations of the earth? And, and through that interaction, Job gets to realize, listen, he's a wise God. And when he gives me one plus one is equals to negative five, it's the best thing that I can ever receive. It's interesting that that's the same, same, same concept we see in the New Testament. I mean, when we get away from the pick and choose, you know, the menu strategy or approach that we use of, of everyday life, you know, we have grown up in, in, in a liberalized menu. Everything has a menu. Your phone has a menu. Uh, you know, you go to the restaurant, there's a menu, there's choice. You choose what you want. You can ignore the things you don't want. Um, you know, there's choice. This is a choiceful world. And unfortunately, that's how we tend to approach the Bible as well. We pick and choose the things that we want. But a, a proper and careful reading will support the same, same thing even in the New Testament. And actually, the New Testament that most of us really love has a very interesting theology of suffering where it seems to say our faithfulness, and I'm, I, can, I can just throw some verses here that you can look up at your own time. Luke 21, uh, 17, he says, listen, you will be hated for my sake. That your faithfulness for me, your zealousness for me is going to create hate towards you from other people. And yet our expectation is that we should be popular. You know, God should reward us. He says, listen, your one plus one is going to be negative two in as far as people liking you. That you're going to be a leader, you're going to be, you know, in your own home, you're going to run your own home based on biblical principles, and you go try to pursue this and teach your kids, and they're going to become rebellious, they're going to hate you, they're going to avoid you, people are going to backbite you, the people are going to backstab you. He says that is an expectation. You look at another verse, you know, First um, Peter four twelve to fourteen. First Peter is also another book, the, the job um, of of of, um, of the New Testament, right? And it says this, and don't be shocked, don't be shocked when 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 one plus one becomes negative five. That this 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 is normal, this is normal territory for you as a believer. It goes on, you know, Romans 5, 3, 5, Romans 5, uh, verse 3 to 5, it even makes it worse. It says, listen, you, you need to rejoice and embrace suffering. Right in the midst of suffering, rejoice and embrace it. Because out of it, good is going to come. And actually, we see that even in the book of Job, that through the suffering and the mind change and, and, and Job getting to the realization of who God really is, and his sovereignty, and the fact that he is not there to bid to our liking, to bid to 
you know, our wants and our desires like an ATM machine that is there to, you know, do what we want because we think and believe we are all wise and all knowing as far as our life is concerned. And he begins to change our mind. And then soon we begin to have a different perspective to life and suffering. Uh, something good eventually happens like we see in Job. And it's the same concept that Roman 5, 3 to 5 also brings in. He says, listen, this process is there for a reason. And at the end, you come out a better individual. Same thing that James talks about. So why do we wrestle with the concept of suffering as believers? One, I believe it's because we have failed to transition from the Old Testament. I call it the Deuteronomy mindset of blessings and cursing depending on our obedience and faithfulness to a New Testament dispensation and thinking where suffering is part and parcel of faithfulness. And why is that? Because as time goes by, the world becomes more and more evil, and your faithfulness is calling you towards light, and light is going to be shunned from within a dark environment. And therefore, the suffering that comes our way has got nothing to do with our faithfulness or unfaithfulness. It's not that we are unfaithful. It's because of the kind of the world that we live in. And the Lord allows some of those things to happen to us for whatever reason in his sovereignty. So where should we fall? In settling in the fact that he is a sovereign, all-knowing, all-wise, and all-gracious God. That in his wisdom, the best thing for me at that particular moment is that negative five. I may want a two, but because he's an all-wise God, the best thing for me sometimes may be that cancer diagnosis. The best thing sometimes for me is that losing of what, whatever thing it is, maybe losing my, my, my relative, my close person, losing my job, losing whatever it is, losing my sight, that the best thing in his sovereignty, and I know these are painful things. I know these are not things that we want to hear, especially at this point. But listen, these are things that come from an all-wise God. And they are to be accepted. And that's the point where Job arrives at. I love that song. Um, Blessed be the, the Lord. He gives and takes away. It's best actually on Job. And I love the part that says, um, I still will choose to say. I love that choice of words. Because that's what Job says. Listen, I'm going through this, but I am choosing to say Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why do you choose? Because it doesn't make sense. It should be two. But I have negative five. And so why do I choose to say blessed be the name of the Lord? Because he's all wise. He's all knowing. He knows. He has the grand picture. Now, um, um, I know Ravi Zachariah had his own uh, um, controversies. But Ravi Zachariah... Uh, gave an illustration of uh, the master um, in India, they, they do these tapestry, these pictures 
that they saw, you know, with threads going to and fro. And he gave this illustration of this person that was watching a woman that was making a picture. And he was looking at the back uh, of this, you know, portrait that was being designed. And all he could see was just strings, just crossing. And then you would see some strings that had just been tied and they were cut. And it was just a mess. And, and, and you know, he couldn't understand what this uh, lady who was doing the embroidery was doing. But the lady had the picture in mind. And, and so she weaved the different threads and she cut and she put in different colors until when the thing was done, the person that was watching was able to understand, wow, what a beautiful picture. But the process, that beautiful picture that turned out to be, it went through, was a painful process of why of threads being thrown back and forth and, and scissors being applied, even as that portrait and that frame stayed there faithfully, you know, obedient to the hands of this weaver, the grand weaver. I think that's the book. Yes, the grand weaver. It stayed there faithfully, subject to what the grand weaver was doing, weaving a beautiful picture in his sovereignty and in his wisdom. And in part of that process included one plus one is equals to negative five. Yes, there were some places where one plus one was two, but that was not the overwhelming, you know, picture of what he was going through. So David, um, I, I, I think I, I will end there for now because I know we still have Wednesday and, and, and Friday to build onto this. But for us to understand and to ask God to help us to move and shift from the Old Testament mentality, where even Job's friends were, and they were convinced that what Job was going through was because he was not faithful, he was not abiding, he was not, which is not consistent with what we see in chapter one. And we need to accept, just like what the New Testament affirms, that sometimes with God, abiding, faithfulness, service, and, 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 and piety and, and holiness sometimes can be equals to zero or even negative five. But that is a good place to be when the sovereign Lord chooses that that's what you're going to receive. Because Paul brings in another perspective. He says, listen, when I see there is loss, I know there is gain because his grace is sufficient for me. David. Awesome. Um, David, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I was actually thinking that as you are going through those principles that it is sad um, when personally I begin to think that I can find satisfaction in things or in situations and not God. Um, I, you you really got me at the point where you, you mentioned that the theme for the book of Job should actually not be suffering, but the sovereignty uh, mm. of God. Um, because he's doing something. And just like that uh, tapestry that you've been talking about, we don't see, we will never see. And even when he mm. gives us a glimpse of what he's trying to do, we still cannot comprehend everything because we're only looking at that particular spot where we appear. We're not looking at the rest of the world. Uh, and, and over thousands and thousands of years. And so 
I know a couple of questions have come through, Devi, that uh, are almost sounding the same, uh, and I know that you're going to take some time to to answer them. But when we're talking about a modern-day job, I could not help but think about Johnny Erickson, uh, Tada, mm-hmm. the lady that got mm-hmm. paralyzed. Um, one of the things that uh, she mentions here, in uh, there's a website here that uh, tries to... Um, uh, list some of the famous uh, statements um, that she mentions. But num- on top of number one, I think she's talking to Westerners, where she says, you Westerners are the ones we can't understand. God has given you so much. You have been so blessed. And then she asks, why are so many people in your country so unhappy? And sorry about this guy next to me. Um, and, and, and this is really interesting um, that we sometimes think that things will give us happiness. They will give us joy. Um, and Devi, how have you been able to um, utilize, um, not utilize on the word, reconcile uh, loss and things, uh, and I know losing things is one thing, but losing people is another form of suffering that is unexplainable. And I know we all suffer different uh, um Ways or in different in different uh, manners of life, my suffering may not be yours. But what has helped you uh, to be able to reconcile loss, especially loss when it comes to uh, to things uh, or people, um, in relation to us not finding satisfaction in things or situations, David? Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a tough one, David. You know, they uh, Paul. In, in chapter 4 Philippians, he says, I have learned. I have learned to live in plenty. And I have learned to live with, with less. Of course, when he, leave, he learned how to have plenty and to live a life of plenteousness, it's because God gave him. And when he learned, you know, living with less, it's when God, you know, restricted and allowed him to have little. That David, some of his things are learned. And how have I personally learned this? By God snatching certain things away from my life. Um, the Lord snatched my father away from, from me when I was still young, and I wrestled with that. And I had to ask certain questions, and I had to you know, deal with certain things. I had to deal with fear and uncertainty and then God snapping me out of that. And I usually share about this and I say, listen, um, one of the songs that really helped me to go through that time period was the song, Because He Leaves, I Can Face Tomorrow, because it pointed me back to God, to the reality that, listen, many things are going to be taken away. I, I, you know, when you're a child, you don't think you don't think death will ever visit you. Death is something that happens to other people until it strikes really, really close. And then you realize, man, even the things that we hold so dear and grandiose can be taken away, and you begin to wrestle with that. So it's a learning process. It is not something that you read in the in, in, in the Bible and you theorize and you no no no. Some of these things, David, unfortunately, God takes us through so we learn the lessons, like Paul says. 
and, and God has, has taken me through a series of many of those things where I've had to, to lose. There's a time I, was, I saved a lot of money because I was supposed to go abroad and study. And, and the bank that I decided to you know, open my account in and save my, uh, put my money, it was shut down, David. And, 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 you know, it doesn't matter how much you had put into that account, you get the basic minimum deposit from Bank of Uganda and another account was open somewhere else. So going through certain losses and, and, and you know, growing up in a different country, making friends, and then, you know, your family moving to another country. So a series of losses eventually opens your perspectiveness where you get to where Paul says, listen, I have learned. To live both with plenty and with little. So being open to those opportunities and using those opportunities to learn and wrestle with God. Listen, it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay, you know, when things don't make sense. But it's not okay when you start to wrestle with God for you to run away from God. That should even drive you further to God to ask more questions, to try and find out, to reconcile. You know, why is this happening? Why have you done this? You know, you see that with David. David questions. He, he wrestles with God. Things that not make sense to him. But what was God's conclusion? He said, this is a man after my own heart. He's genuine. He's, he's true. And, 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 and David's questioning or wrestling and trying to grapple with these difficult questions always drove him back to God. So... How do we learn? By allowing to stay in that school and God taking us through some of those things. And then you can comfortably say, like, Paul, I have learned. I have learned not to hold on to things. I have learned not to, you know, when, um, and, and I've gone through, maybe I'll share some of these things on Wednesday. So come on Wednesday. David, please take note of the questions that have been asked. We will begin... Um, we will begin. We'll begin by answering these these questions, probably. Uh, but but you know, learning not to hold on to things. Uh, it takes God taking you through that school of losing and losing and losing, and God beginning to um, move your heart so that you don't hold tightly to the things of this world. When my mom died, I I knew it was just a matter of time, and I was able to release. Uh, when I lost some other things, it is so easy to release because you know the temporality, but you also know the comfort with which God comforts you and the grace that he overwhelms you with during those moments of loss. Amen. David, yes, I'm going to take screenshots of these questions and we are going to pick it up from here on Wednesday. Thank you, David, so much uh, for your time. I know... <laughs> I don't can't say I know, but I, I I can I can guess it's been a long day. Uh, it's been a long day for me. Gone through a couple of COVID tests. People poking poking my nose, meetings one after <laughs> another, and uh, it's and then coming and just sharing with us patiently answering our question is is really something I would like to appreciate you for. Let me encourage the listeners to check out cabindivos.com slash slash shop. I just got a tongue twist right there. David, you know, yes. <laughs> Florence, Florence asked a very interesting question. He mm. says, if, if God chose Job in part because of his faith, 
how do we use this story to encourage us towards faith? Because the opposite side is worse. <laughs> mm. You don't want to be on the other side of being unfaithfulness. And I think maybe that's what we are going to look at on Wednesday. Yes. Um, yes. Suffering because of our sin. And the <laughs> yes. You would rather so, suffer for faithfulness because you're covered. Mm. You know, you're not going through that suffering by yourself. There's so much that God promises uh, to give to us uh, when we suffer because of our faithfulness. But you don't want to be on the other side. Friends, I have seen this. I've been in a similar situation where I'm suffering and a non-believer on the other side. It is horrible. So drive people towards faithfulness, even if it, it is going to cost them. Because it's a matter of time that same cost is going to catch up with the unfaithful, and it is terrible. Wow. Um, I, I have analogies, Devi, I would like to have used maybe to try and uh, uh, expand that equation. You gave us one plus one is equal to negative five, and uh, we'll pick mm. it up from there. Mine is going to be algebra, x plus y is equal to <laughs> zy. Why? Because it's it's complicated like that. It's complicated like that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to Wednesday. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I'm not going to lose these questions. You, there's you a, something there's else. a saying. Yes, there's a saying mm. that I used to put on my status. I don't remember where, but it was, I'd rather walk in the dark with God than in the light mm. without him. Good night, friends. Good night, Evie. Good night. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, glad that you're here. It's, it's, been, it's been alive today um, in you asking questions. And uh, I'm praying and hoping that we will make it on Wednesday. We do plan uh, to be here this coming Wednesday. Again with Devi as we look at sin because of our, I mean, sorry, suffering because of our sin. And uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And then I think Friday we'll get a chance to look at principles of suffering. Uh, some of the common uh, principles that we see everywhere with men that have gone through difficult moments and how they've been able to come through. And I think we'll take a moment to look at uh, Joseph, at least for the introduction, and, and see some principles in remaining faithful amidst uh, painful, painful moments. But again, like I was saying, check out cabindivos.com slash shop where you'll be able to grab a couple of uh, merchandise uh, for Cabin Devils. We intend to grow that shop uh, a little bit some more. And uh, please, please, please make an order. We have an offer right now for couples, whether married or dating, who'd like to purchase Cabin Devils uh, jumpers. We do have you saving 10,000 shillings. It will be cheaper for you. But check out cabindevils.com slash shop for you to pick up a couple of pieces. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Allow me to say bye. It's 10 minutes after 10 East African time. And have a good night. And we will see you again. Sundays at 9 p.m. East African time.